Hey, you're listening to Chew On That, and here's what we're chewing on today. Let's continue a teaching that I started two weeks ago that we've been calling When. Hey, hi, my name is Pastor Scott. You're listening to Chew On That. Today, we're going to listen to the third part in Pastor Sean's message, When, from the sermon series, Romans, the greatest letter ever written. Today, I'm so excited, you guys, because I'm... Welcoming my friend uh, Judy Thompson to the show. Say hello, Judy. Hey, Scott. Hey, I'm, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here. Hey, before we get started, because I feel like not everyone knows everything about you, like I know everything about you. I don't really. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, my name's Judy, and I hope everyone understands me, because originally I'm from Northern Ireland, and I came out here for the first time about 11 years ago. Um, I'm from a big Irish family. I've got four sisters and a brother. And I have a sister here and a brother here, and the rest of them are all still in Ireland. Grew up on a dairy farm. About a year and a half ago, I found Life Church, and now I go to Life Church downtown, and it's just been life changing for me. Um, Really love the people, love the place, and I'm excited to discuss Pastor Sean's message today. I love that. So, but you're, but then you also have a job besides helping your family on their big giant gold dust dairy farm that you're also <laughs> you're also like the like executive director you're the general manager what do you I, I kind of call myself the janitor you're program. definitely not the janitor <laughs> cleaner a little bit of everything because I think you have to do everything to truly understand how things are working um, but right now during this pandemic I'm kind of like a part-time farmer. <laughs> gotcha. But when it's not pandemic, you run the... The Richard Mothy Center. Oh, yeah. Here on the UWGB campus, which uh, if you grew up here, you probably know it as the Ecumenical Center or the Eck. Yep. Right. And so, but uh, in recent years, it's, it's taken on the new name of the Richard Mothy Center. Yep. And uh, you've brought a lot of new life to what's going on here, I think. I love the center. It is, you walk through the doors and it is what you make it. Um, It has so much potential. Just you walk through the door and it is a place just to grow, develop, nurture your spiritual and faith journey. Um, And I think that that is so much more. If we truly want to live out our faith, then it has to be in every single aspect of your life. It can't just be, okay, Now I'm going to close the door and walk away to my daily life. It has to be you live it out in every single aspect. It's what you think about before you make any decision. Do you find that like kids today, that's an old man thing to say. Okay, boomer. Do you find that the kids today are looking for a way to connect spiritually or try to re-identify their faith for themselves? I just had a conversation about this today um, that... We're so far away from our faith and our spirituality that we're not even in a river. Have you ever heard the the comment that what river are you standing in regarding faith and spirituality? And so many of us aren't even near a puddle today Mm. because we didn't grow up with it. And I think just, you know, when we are so unaccepting of people, Mm-hmm. then they just feel that it's so irrelevant to them. They cannot relate at all to, you know, our faith or our spiritual journey. And that's what it is. Nobody just, you know, came out and was like, oh, 
I'm a pastor. It's a journey. Um, and unless you just accept people where they are and help them along the way, they're, they're never going to know Jesus. And that's why I really love Life Church is because one of the messages that Sean said um, was, you know, people always ask him questions and he says, why do you want to know my opinion? If you want to know it, I'll help you find it in the Bible. Hmm. Um, and that's why I love Life Church is because anyone can tell you something, but if you're a true believer and a true follower of Christ, then shouldn't you be following the Bible? Yeah, that's good. So, Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So we're going to jump into Sean's message. Let's listen to the first clip just now. Okay. Then in ringing tones, Paul proclaimed his amazing good news. But God, he raised him from the dead. He then swept away the barrier between Jew and Gentile and included every person present in God's offer of free forgiveness when he said these words. Know therefore, brothers. And that's a sentence that seems meaningless to us now, but... But these pagan God-fearers, they had never been called brothers before. In fact, the Apostle John warned so strongly against this that he says, calling non-believers brothers makes you a co-conspirator in their sinful lifestyle. But Paul lived by the belief system that darkness cannot overtake light, but rather the opposite. So he urged the need for personal repentance and faith in Jesus, and with that, he ended his message. He'd said everything that needed to be said. I love this image of Paul speaking in the synagogue and then the synagogue getting overrun, not just by synagogians. I mean, not just by like traditional Jewish people, but I, there's also Jewish Christians there. And then there were even like Gentile Christians there and even just like Gentile pagan people there. Like it was like an open house. And I love that. And I love how he preach to them nonetheless, right? And so it made me wonder, and, then, and, and, the, and the pagans were like so shocked that they were welcome. They were so shocked that they belonged, right? And I wonder for many of us, like when was the first time that we felt like we belonged to the family of God, that we weren't just attenders at a church, that we weren't just sitting in a pew, but we were part of the family of God. And I wonder if like, if you were, if there's like something in your life where you remember like catching on to that, that like when was the first time you felt like you were family with church? So growing up, I grew up in a Presbyterian church and, you know, I attended Bible study and, you know, everything, children's church, um, youth fellowship. And then, you know, you hear this message all the time that, you know, God sent Jesus into the world for everyone. So whoever believes and you know, God didn't send his son to condemn people, but to save them. And for so long in my teenage years, I felt like I just condemned myself. Um, you know, whenever you're a teenager and, you know, you're doing teenage stuff and um, you make all these mistakes and you feel so imperfect um, and you think that you're so far away from from faith, from God, from being saved. Um, and... You know, I, I never questioned God's existence then, but then whenever I came out to America and I started going to classes here, I remember one professor and he was preaching, you know, God versus evolution. And at that time I really struggled and I just thought, okay, is God real or is it evolution? Like what's going on here? 
and I was 19, 20. And I just remember thinking, okay, God, if you're real, you need to send me a real clear sign right now. Hmm. Like you need to send me a smack in the face sign right now because I really need to know if you're real or not. And then it was probably a couple of weeks after that and I kind of settled into, okay, God, you must not exist because you're not giving me a sign here. And I remember being in the farm office and my mom was on the phone and there was a lady from Michigan. She's a family friend from back home. And at that time she had seven kids and now she has eight kids, best kids ever, love them. And she really needed somebody to take care of the kids because one of the kids had gotten in an accident on the farm. Um, and I was supposed to go to Country USA that weekend and probably have a total blowout with my friends. And my mom said, you know, could you go across and help her with the kids? So I was like, fine, I'll go across there. I drove across there and, you know, the first Sunday I was dropping the kids off at Children's Church. And just, I was about to walk out of the church and this guy was closing the door um, on the adult Bible study. And he goes, do you want to come inside? And I said, sure, why not? And I walked through the door and he handed me this book and he said, you know, we have a book left over, you can have it. And it was God versus evolution. And I was just like, okay, God, that's it, you know? And I was like, that was enough of a sign that I needed. And I feel like any time today that I need a sign from God, it's there. You know, I went out to Australia to be a nanny and I thought, you know, I really need something out here that's gonna ground me in my faith while I'm here. And the first week that I was there nannying the lady, she says, you know, I don't know what your background is, but I do a Bible study every Wednesday morning. Do you want to join? And I thought, ah, thanks God. <laughs> you know, and that happens to me all the time. And, you know, in Alpha, you know, when it says, if you knock, you know, God's always there but the door doesn't have a handle on God's side. You have to open the door. Um, God's always there, but you have to be open to it. And I feel like a lot of people today aren't ready to be an open to it. And if you are, he's always there. Um, and I just, I, I always see the signs and you have to look for them and you have to search them. It's the same as anything in a relationship. If you want to grow and develop it, you know, I'm not going to ignore my friend. I'm going to call my friend. I'm going to text them. I'm going to meet up with them and I'm going to be a good friend. And I feel like that's what you have to be in a relationship with God too. It's a, it's a two-sided relationship. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for that. And the news, it spread like wildfire. The word, it spread that these traveling preachers had a message that actually made sense of life. So on the next Sabbath, when Paul and Barnabas reached the synagogue, they found an enormous crowd. And the Gentiles, they actually greatly outnumbered the Jews. Every seat was filled. But in the synagogue, the service would never begin. Instead of warmly welcoming the largest congregation of their time, the rabbi, elders, and the leading Jews, they were furious. They resented the response to Paul's message. And, and Paul wasn't surprised, but he also wasn't gonna be silenced. I love this because I wonder if so sometimes we, we get so focused on what we believe or how we believe or how we practice or how we walk out our faith that we, that we miss out on other opportunities. Like we're, where we're like, we're so convinced that we're right, that there's no way that anyone else could be right. In fact, we need to exclude those people. So you see that kind of in this story that Sean talks about where, you know, like 
there's new people, right? There's new people that you can bring into your community and have faith and bring them hope and walk with them. But like churches are famous, infamous for like being exclusive, for being country clubs more than they are for being, you know, open tents where like, Hey, everyone's welcome. Let's figure this out because no one's got that right. And I just, you know, wonder, you know, in, in especially, I don't know what you have written down in your notes, but I'm like, especially like here at the Mothy Center, right? Where there's like, I mean, a lot of these kids, if they come from Wisconsin, right, they probably went to a Lutheran church or a Catholic church or something. They probably, you know, I mean, that's most people um, if they're from here. And so, but you could see where they'd be like, it was, you know, I didn't find any meaning in it. I just, I don't know. It was, and they just, I mean, they're 19. And so they've got that, you know, sort of attitude about stuff anyway. But if they, if it's even further uh, diminished by the fact that they feel like church is an exclusive thing rather than an inclusive thing, then I'm sure that's more of a turnoff. Yeah. I feel like being at a, a center for everyone, that's really difficult. That is one of the, the biggest challenges because I have to recognize my own, my own feelings, what I, what I am drawn towards, which is Jesus. And if I come right out the bat with people that walk through the door and are saying, whoa, you know, this Jesus thing isn't for me right away, then those people are going to turn around and, and walk straight out the door. Um, whereas, you know, I have kids that walk through the door and they say, I'm atheist. And I say, okay, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to come in and get a free meal? And, you know, just that's what it is. And then, you know, I've had kids that they keep coming in and they keep coming in and then they come to Alpha. Um, And then they say, well, you know, I grew up in the Catholic church, but, you know, I just, I didn't get it. And then they have questions and they open up to it. And, you know, you have students and they walk through the door and they say, well, this is what my parents thought, but I just don't really fit with that. And, I totally relate to that because until you find your own answers, it doesn't really have any meaning to you. If somebody just preaches something at you and tells you this is the answer, if it doesn't go from your head to your heart, then it doesn't mean anything. You'll lose it. If it doesn't feel good to you, then, you know, a year from now, it's just something that you know, but it's not something that you feel. Um And I think that that is so important. It has to be a place where they can ask all the unsafe questions and come up with their own answers. Yeah. I mean, that goes back to what you had said at the opening where you said like, listen, you don't need to know what I think about this or what I believe about this. I need to help you figure out what you think about this or what you believe about this. Because if we just keep trying to, I say this a lot, but if we just keep trying to like inherit our parents' faith, it's never going to fit right. If you guys could just see the size of the water bottle that Judy just pulled up, it's it's like a two gallon water <laughs> bottle. That's like the most. It's like a comic. It's like a cartoon water bottle. That's something about America is you guys all go in gallons, and I'm like liters. <laughs> what happened? Well, that's like eight liter. <laughs> yeah, it's like two point five three uh, liters. It's a lot. There's a ton of water there, and it's empty. Anyway, where if we're just trying to like if we just try to if we have a hand me down faith, it's never gonna fit right. It's never going to be ours. We're never going to be happy with it. 
you know, I'm the last of six kids. And so everything that I had, every toy, every piece of clothing, every, everything was someone else's before it was mine. Right. right? Me too. And, and so like, I don't I didn't get to choose it. I didn't get to pick the color. I didn't get to pick the style. I didn't get to pick, you know, the fit. It was just like, this is the one you got. And did you wear uh, like the, the patchwork jeans whenever I, they were on I style did. though? I did. I did. I did. And it wasn't good, <laughs> right? With iron on patches, right? They were curling on the edges and it like everyone made fun of me. And anyway, our faith certainly shouldn't be that. Like that, I mean, because I mean, it shouldn't be something we inherit or just try to pick up, you know, secondhand that it's really just got to be something that's ours in order for it to have any meaning at all. So I love that you said that. Something else I will say about that is too, coming from Northern Ireland, you know, and you see the Catholic and Protestant and you see what the the differences and the the fights and the turmoil that it caused. And, you know, now our walls that divided us are now peace walls. So you see Catholic Protestant in Ireland and you're reminded by those walls that you never want to do that to each other. It accomplishes nothing. And to me, when I'm looking at different religions and, you know, different traditions and understanding other people, that's important because I think that the devil wants to offend us and he wants it to offend us so that we don't communicate. And if we don't communicate as Jesus people, then we don't share Jesus's love with other people. And isn't sharing that with people that don't know Jesus the most important um, so for me, that is so important, you know, cause there's so many people that walk through this building and I think that if I get offended, then I can't share that. So just knowing from Ireland, what religious differences can create and it can create so much damage. I just want to take what the enemy means meant for evil and just turn it for good and turn it to Jesus. With that. The apostles exited the synagogue, walked to the town square, and to a giant group of Galatian Gentiles, Paul preached and people were changed. But before he could revel in that success, Paul fell ill. He contracted a mysterious sickness. He was forced to stop. For several weeks of summer, Paul laid quarantined. But his new converts, they wouldn't be stopped. The gospel continued to be spread. The revolutionary message of grace and faith in Jesus leapt from person to person like a divine epidemic. And it caused Paul to adopt a strategy by which he'd spread Jesus from that point forward. They would settle in a city center. They would reach that region through its own converts. At the top, you mentioned how, um, Judy, that you, uh, that we know each other uh, through Life Church downtown. And so uh, Life Church Downtown, I feel like this little blurb, this little part of Paul's story, and like that's like at the heart of what we're trying to do downtown, where we're trying to like, hey, let's just forget about the synagogue, and let's forget about the temple, and let's forget about the, you know, the, the architecture and accessories and accoutrements of faith, and let's just go out into the town center and just see what we can whip together. And so that's what Life Church Downtown is trying to do to say, we're not going to meet in a church and there's no candles and there's no bells and there's no incense and there's no pews. There's no kneelers. There's no nothing, but just trying to figure this thing out, trying to like find our faith together, right? Like our own faith together. And so, and then even 
doubling down on that to say, and if people can find their faith that way, they're going to say, hey, these guys, they found a different way to find this faith thing that's got nothing to do with stand, sit, and bend, or has nothing to do with Bible councils or anything else. It just has to do with this relationship with Jesus Christ. And and I love that. I love that way of, of trying to be a different sort of disciples, right? Because I don't think that there's anything wrong with church. Like I, I love church. I love being in church. I love being in old churches. And I love being in new churches. I love going to my church. And right. But for some people, you know, they don't feel welcome there. They don't feel comfortable there. They don't feel like they fit there. And so I love this thing about where Paul gets sick. And I know that there's, there's another thing about, you know, the virus and how we're quarantined and everything else. We'll get to that in a second. But just this part about like church happens in the city square as much as it happens in the temple or the synagogue or the church. Yeah. I love right now in the pandemic because you can church hop so easily. And, you know, I wonder that sometimes why, why I don't say yes to everything that that Jesus would want me to say yes to. And sometimes, you know, I wonder why question, people question themselves. Like sometimes some of my my best Jesus friends, they say, I, I don't think I could do that. And I'm like, what? You could totally do that. And sometimes I wonder, is it the devil? He makes us feel like we're not enough so that we can't do more, that we can't reach more people. Um, I remember... You know, sometimes in here, I love this. I love that people walk through the door and you have so many different conversations with people every day. Um, And just to see that little light sometimes inside of people turn on and them feel important that somebody cares about them. And when people ask me why, why I say yes, why I do what I do, I'm like, it's, you know, it's, because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what Jesus called you to do. Um, and I remember one evening I was in here and I was feeling really tired. And I was having a conversation with uh, an older lady in here. And I said, you know, sometimes I just feel like, you know, it's like every day you come inside here and you lay down yourself for other people. And the next morning I woke up and I was running as you do. And I was listening to my Bible in a year app and Nikki Gumbel was saying that you lay your life down because that's how you get your life. You know, you give your life away because that's how you get it. And it's so true. The more and more I think about it is the more that you do, the better that you feel. You don't do it for yourself. You do it, you know, for other people. And, you know, what you get in return, though, is actually so much more. What Jesus gives you in return is so much more. You feel better about life. You get a community. I mean, even whenever I think about Life Church Santana, what you just said, it is a community. And by going there, getting involved, doing things, you get so much more of a meaning and a purpose out of life. Um, and I love that. It's it's so good. And without that and life, I feel like the pandemic, especially, you know, what does that look like for people? I just think that so many people are in fear right now and so many people are angry. Yeah, it seems like it seems like everybody is mad at everybody else for the way that they're handling the pandemic. Like right. Everyone's like, that's not the way I'm handling it. So your way is stupid. You're an idiot. 
you're an idiot if you want to do this. You're an idiot if you wear this or don't wear that. If you're witty, if you don't wear that, but you wear this. And you're, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like everyone's looking just to pick a fight. Even like, I spend probably too much time on Facebook, more time on Facebook than I spend running. But I do know <laughs> that like, like this weekend, like avatars, like Facebook avatars were a thing, right? And I was like, oh, that's fun. How cute. And then there's something like, they really look like them. I'm like, I want to make my avatar, right? And so I tried to make mine look nothing like oh, me. Oh, <laughs> really? Oh, I feel like yours would be really easy to nail. But, and then there's people that are mad that people are making avatars, right? There's like, and there's people like, will make fun of the avatar makers. I'm like, how like bitter and angry do you have to be to make fun of something that people are doing? I mean, like, it's not like, they're not like, hey, you have to pay me for my avatar or like they're not like painting their avatar on your front lawn, right? Like they just, all it takes is one more finger scroll just to get through there, right? Just active thumbs, man, right? But instead they don't, you know, they've got to ridicule people. And I, I hate that about our culture. And I really thought that maybe in the pandemic, maybe we would all draw closer to one another. Maybe we would all like, I don't know, find our kinship. And we haven't. It's it's made it worse, more political and more divided and more racial and more everything. And it hasn't been a unifying thing at all. I don't know. It has and it hasn't. Like, I've seen a lot of great stuff. And then, you know, even they say, get outside, move, it'll make you feel better. I was on the trail and somebody yelled at me. And I think it was because I was in the middle of the line. Um, but... When I was running the other day, I had a running, um, I was listening to my Bible in a year, and it said that your muscle, your faith is like a muscle and it needs to grow and stretch. And what I thought is sometimes that's really uncomfortable. Sometimes that hurts. So, um, and Jesus tested Philip in the Bible. Um, and we aren't tested in order to deceive us, but to strengthen our faith um, so we can endure our journey. And also talking about anger. I was reading about Joyce Myers and, and um, she was saying that if you put a D in front of the anger, um, it's danger, right? And I feel like we're all in danger right now because we're also angry. And again, that just comes back to me is the devil wants us to be angry at each other. When we're angry, we achieve absolutely nothing. It breaks down our relationships. You know, it it doesn't move us forward. It makes us 10 steps backwards. And, you know, it, it just hurts us. And yeah, we need to strengthen and encourage each other to endure right now. The Jews who had refused to believe in Jesus as their Messiah rallied the Roman aristocracy against them and had them thrown in jail, which in that region was always accompanied by physical punishment. Now, because Paul was a Roman citizen, he could have avoided the beating, but because Barnabas wasn't a Roman citizen, he, he'd not only be forced to receive the full force of the law, he'd likely also receive Paul's avoided portion just to send a message. But Paul, he had no intention of escaping what Barnabas had to endure, so he said nothing about his citizenship. I feel like this kind of goes back to what you were just saying about how there's an awful little amount of self-sacrifice in our world today. That if we're looking out for someone, we're looking out for ourselves. That we're making sure that number one gets taken care of. And so not only do we not like put ourselves out there or lay ourselves down like Paul did by not saying that he's a Roman citizen saying, hey, you know, don't 
beat the crap out of me because I'm a Roman citizen. You can't. So not only just that, but we take it even further in the other direction where we're like, we, we want people to get hurt, right? Like we, we, like we enjoy it. We, I mean, isn't it the German word is schadenfreude, isn't it? it? Like where you, you get kicks out of watching someone, someone else's mishap. And I feel like we love that. I mean, like the America's funniest videos, right? Like that. I mean, there's 28 seasons of that where we just like watching people get hit in the junk or we like watching people, you know, fall <laughs> off and hit their heads. Like we just love that. And that's, I mean, and then, so if you take that and put in a little bit of Chandler, you know, from friends and his snarkiness, and you put in a little bit of Seinfeld and their selfishness, right. And you, and you put that into some kind of cultural cauldron and you end up with where we're at. We're just like, we want people to fail. We're, and I hate that. Like I, so that's, I mean, cause you had talked earlier, Judy, about dying to ourselves so that we can live, right? That, that, and like, that's what that looks like for me. Because I mean, I came up being funny. Like I was known for being the funniest person in the room, but by funny, I always came at the expense of somebody because that's the easiest kind of funny is to be, is to make fun or ridicule someone else. And so when I started trying to be more like Jesus, I had to stop being that. I had to stop living or making fun of other people or, you know, making ridicule my thing. And that was kind of, I mean, this seems like such a weird stretch, but that was dying to myself. That was, Hey, you got to stop that man. I even called myself like early in my marriage, I was doing it to my wife. Like I would, I would make fun of Kate in front of others, you know, so that they would, I don't know, find me funny. And I never really thought about like, what does that say about your wife? Or what does it say about how you feel about your wife? And I don't know. Like when you think about the people that you like in the world, I don't know. I, I feel like I always like the people that are kind or that are loving or that are giving or that are generous or that are charitable or that it, like the huggers and the dreamers. I mean, that's who I'm all about and not the people that are just, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm going down a rabbit trail here. Yeah. I don't feel like I've ever been punished a lot of people ask me, for instance, about the immigration things they're going through and very realistically could come next year in February and they could say, hey, you know what? We're not approving anything. You got to leave. No, that can't happen because I wrote this. <laughs> I wrote this amazing letter. It was like I made a copy of it. It's in my office now because I couldn't believe how beautiful the letter was. A lot of people wrote me a lot of nice letters and that's great. I love it. It was really nice. But um, yeah, it really could come of February next year. And, you know, they could say, you got to go back to Ireland. And that could be it. And people say, are you not really angry about that? You're not really worried. And I can't be because I could get really angry or really worried or stressed about a lot of things in life. Um, but I always find like you're saying, and you know, Sean did that really great message on um, like overcoming anxiety and depression and everything. And you know, Dave, he's talking about stress and hurry. And um, I listen to a lot of people, and I I can't be angry. I can't live my life in anger. Um, Otherwise, I am on that verge of danger again. And it's just accepting a different path. And I think in all of that, I know that, you know, God never changes. 
even during this time, you know, God is consistent and nothing ever changes. And I don't feel like I'm ever facing a punishment or a burden or more than what I'm supposed to do. I do think that in life, if we all accepted just to do a little bit more, if we could all be a little bit kinder, um, you know, to say love triumphs all and then we wouldn't really need all these rules right now even um, if people just were able to be the best they could be then that would be enough almost then Peter visited the city it was the only place in the world where ex-pagans were living in complete equality with Christian Jews and everyone watched what Peter would do would he treat them as equals or would he treat them as outsiders To everyone's surprise, he treated them with total equality, including spending time in their homes and eating meals with them as brothers. But all that quickly changed a few weeks later when a group of Christian Pharisees showed up in town and freaked out at how Peter had become a sellout. Not only was he eating with Gentiles, but he wasn't requiring them to live in full accordance to the law of Moses. And at once they began a campaign that said, unless you submit to the full law of Moses and convert to Judaism, you could not be saved. And everyone involved in the dispute knew what they meant. They meant that the death and resurrection of Jesus wasn't enough to gain a man access to heaven. That had to be earned. Let me just try to get a little uh, backfill here on this story. So what's happening here in this this segment is that Peter is a Christian. Paul is a Christian. These Pharisee guys that came in were Christian Pharisees, right? And what they were saying is that this has got to be a two-step process. First, you Gentile pagan people, first you've got to become a Jew and follow all of our rules. And then when you do that, then you've got to become a Christian and follow all of those rules because that's what we're doing. And if you're not doing what we're doing, you're doing it wrong. Right? And so, and then, and then uh, it wasn't in the sound clip, but even Sean points out that, that Paul's like, maybe it's in the next one, so I don't want to blow it. Never mind, forget I said that. So anyway, my point is, is that, this is what happens when, when, when people, when, when men, men and women, but like men, like in the sort of just like man sort of species way, um, when they take over control of faith, if it lasts for too long, like they, they, they want to regulate it and they want to control it and they want to like make a list out of it and a catalog and an encyclopedia and a rule book. And they want to like, because they want to make sure that everyone follows it like they're supposed to follow it, which is the way that I follow it. And so if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to follow the Jewish way of being a Christian. And Paul's like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. Like it's got nothing to do with it. Well, no, because they're, they're not worthy. They're not, they're not clean. They're not Whatever. And then, so when I think about the people that walk into the Mothy Center, I think about people like, I was never going to be that clean. I was never going to be able to give up what I needed to give up to match what my church was asking me to match or be who my church wanted me to be. I was never going to be able to do that on my own. And so when you look at this, you know, this Jewish way of looking at Christianity, they were like, hey, you still got to every seventh day, you got the Sabbath thing and you can't, I don't know, like cross the street in the third moon of the first month of the following the thing. Like, like there's all these Levitical sort of rules uh, where 
They're like, you got to follow these rules. And like, Paul's like, no, they don't. That it's got nothing to do with what they can do. It's got everything to do with just accepting grace, right? Accepting God's mercy and salvation through him. That in fact, there's nothing that you can do, right? Later, of course, in Romans, he's going to talk about how we all sin and we're all short of the glory of God and we're never going to make it. Even the people that are, that you think are making it, Pope Francis, right? Falls short of the glory of God. Sean Hennessy falls short of the glory of God. I fall short of the glory of God. Like, boy, do you know it. I fall short of the glory of God. We all do. So this faith thing isn't about trying to arrive at a place of perfection, but rather a place of acceptance of the fact that I'm never going to be perfect. And that any perfection I have, any righteousness that I have, any piety or holiness that can be mine is only mine because of who Jesus Christ is in me. Yeah, one of my favorite videos in Alpha was this guy who he went to prison and he just felt like he was the worst person ever. And then he talks about, he says, not one of us are righteous, that we all fall short of the glory of God. And it makes me think of um, Paul and, you know, even whenever he became a Christian, he said, you know, why do I do the things that I hate and why do I not do the things that I love? And, you know, I'm like, huh, Paul was great and he still couldn't live up to everything that he wanted to do. And he was still like, why am I doing this? I don't like this. It doesn't feel good. And, you know, if you look at Peter and, you know, his denial of Christ and how bad that was for him. And, you know, Sean was talking about if you looked and you wanted if you looked on the outside of the perfect disciple, you would have picked Judas. And we all know what Judas did in the end. And it just makes me think that there is nothing that you can actually do. And I feel like that is the hardest thing for people in my generation is we all want to do something. Um, you know, you hear about people that, you know, they give up their business that they've grown for 10 years and they go out and they they start to do these great projects um, in developing parts of the world, but they still don't feel that that satisfaction. And to me, it is there's nothing that you can do. It is that you're a child of God and that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That is what it is. And unless you can find that within yourself, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing that anyone can say that's going to make you feel happy and at peace and really you know, that is what everyone is searching for is peace. And to me, that only comes from really knowing Jesus. And when you talk about, you know, the Bible and being a book of rules and nobody's going to be able to live up to these rules, I think that that is a huge misconception because if you look at the Bible, it's a book of love for me. It is, it is the ultimate love story is what people say. And you know, it's a book that if you live your life by it, it gives you peace and it is from a loving God. And that to me is what the Bible is overall is love triumphs all. And, you know, if you just open that door and you just have that relationship with Jesus, then you will feel that love. And once you feel that love, you will understand that book. Um, and until you really dive into it. And that's what I love about Sean's message right now. It is a story and it is telling the story in so many ways. And I'm almost like, I can't wait for next week. <laughs> so I love that. 
So basking in the afterglow of this monumental victory, Paul and Barnabas decided to go back and tell the good news to all the churches that they had started. And the mood was joyous until Barnabas suggested they bring John Mark back with them. And this is where Paul and Barnabas have such a heated confrontation that they part ways and never speak again. I mean, Paul had been burned. John Mark had burned him when he abandoned them. And Paul, he was obviously carrying a grudge. And I wonder if Paul actually argued like some of us. I I wonder if he was the kind of guy to bring up the past. Uh, I wonder if he brought up how Barnabas had let John Mark go without a fight or if or if he had brought up how Barnabas had caved when Peter and the other believers caved to the Christian Pharisees when they had come to Antioch. Like, I, I wonder if Barnabas then brought up the fact that Paul wouldn't be who he was if Barnabas hadn't endorsed him all those years ago and that if Paul then responded with, yeah, you put your name on me, but I took a beating for you at Pisidian Antioch because unlike you, bro, I'm loyal. To which I wonder if Barnabas then said, yeah, bro, you may be loyal, but you're not loving. You never have been. That's how you could capture and kill people in the name of God. And then I wonder if Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement and and who really was the king of second chances, pushed on and said, you know what, Paul? I was just trying to encourage Peter and Antioch, and I'm, I'm just trying to encourage John Mark now, just like I've been trying to encourage you all these years in all your melancholy, morose moodiness, which by the way, has been exhausting. And it was all that Barnabas could take, and so he left. And now Paul, who had been burned, has just burned a bridge with his friend Barnabas, and a beautiful relationship was ruined, and they, went their separate ways, Barnabas with John Mark and later Paul with Silas, all because they wouldn't stop keeping track. This segment totally reminds me of Journey to Wholeness. And I know, like, that's uh, uh, a service that's offered at Life Church. I wanted to call it a ministry. I don't even know that it's a ministry, right? Like, it's, but I mean, this segment, because you get, there's no factual evidence that this conversation happened the way that Sean just pantomimed the way that it happened. But like, <laughs> but there's no reason to think that it didn't happen like that. Cause we've all been in those situations, right? Two different kind of personalities and finally things come to a head, little hurts, little things that, you know, have bothered us all along. I mean, we all have those things in our relationships. We have them in our marriages and our, you know, our relationships with our parents and everything else where you just like, finally, you're just like, I've had enough. Let me just start running off this litany of ways that you've disappointed me or ways that you've hurt me, right? Like, why were you carrying that this whole time? Like, where did you even keep that? Is there a box under your bed or is there something in the closet that you keep this in? Like, where have you been keeping this? And like, we do that. And that's how it reminds me of Journey to Wholeness because Journey to Wholeness is all about like, hey, you got to start dealing with this stuff. You can't just put it in a box and then take it out later because it gets moldy and gross in there and it stinks. And it's not even what it would look like when you put it in there in the first place. It's been changed and it's been, it's rotten. And like, why would you pull that out and bring it out now? And you could kind of see that would be that kind of conversation that split Paul and Barnabas up. And so, like, I wonder, like, like, why do we do that in our relationships? Why do we, why do we sabotage them by, by keeping an account? Why do, we, why, do we, why do we want to be right so badly? Why do we not want to just find peace and love and forgiveness? What I wonder is, 
If there were text or email back then, would they have text or email and been like, hey, I'm sorry, you know? I really wonder what happened after that. What were their feelings? I had this this situation where I was working on a project with um, somebody and, you know, it just seemed that things weren't adding up always and it was just always things that, you know, it just didn't equal out and it was super frustrating. And, you know, we were just like, hey, just tell us really where we're at and, you know, if totally fine if something hasn't gone right or, you know, whatever's happened, totally fine. And this person ended up just walking out. And six months later, that person walked into the building and I just thought, oh my goodness. And they had come in and they had got me a card and a gift. And they were like, I'm sorry. You know, you always said, just tell me, just tell me where you're at. And you know, tell me what you need help with. And you never realize how much what you say impacts that person. And you might think that you have been the worst in the world with that person. And then they walk through your door six months later and they say, hey, you know, I've actually become a Christian. Um, and I really liked how you always said, hey, just tell me what you need help with. Tell me it's okay. And we were doing Alpha that night and that person came, you know, like half an hour before Alpha was starting and they stayed for Alpha. And I just feel like we don't realize sometimes how much people are watching what we say and how we behave. And that to me is, that says enough of, of if you're a Christ follower or not, is just your everyday thoughts and actions and behaviors. And I love Nikki for what she does and how honest she is. Um, and just a lot of people at Life Church downtown really encourage me, really encourage me with their honesty and really encourage me in my walk in life. And they don't even realize that they do it, but they do it so well. And it makes me think that if we were intentional about it, you know, going back to a few questions back on, you know, why don't we reach out and tell more people about Jesus? And, you know, maybe sometimes we feel like we don't know enough Bible verses, somebody says, or, you know, well, we're not a pastor, we're not a leader, but, you know, God chose you. You know, every single person that's listening to this right now, God shows you and God's choosing you to go out and tell somebody else about Jesus and about, you know, how much you're loved and your relationship and the peace that you can have. And it's not about being a pastor or being a leader. It's just about being the neighbor. And, you know, I was in a conversation recently and this lady, Melinda, she said, you know, I had this really cool conversation with my neighbor and I feel like God wants me to go and talk to my neighbor. And, you know, she's had the opportunity to do that. And that is who I'm looking up to is the person that'll go out and talk to their neighbor. Um, so that was, I felt like I just rambled there. <laughs> not, not at all. Not at all. And I don't think Paul ever really got over this. In fact, years later, he'd write in his second letter to the Corinthians that because God had reconciled us to himself, 
we are called to a ministry of reconciliation. And he wrote this letter because the Corinthians were being plagued by division and arguments. And he wrote it just a year before he wrote the book of Romans, shortly after being released from prison in Ephesus, in a season where he was forced to stop, in a season where he was isolated and locked down. You know, there's a lot that can be learned when your life has been disrupted. A lot that can be learned when you've been isolated and are forced to stop. Ministry of Reconciliation. Like, I have to tell you that I don't know that I've ever known that that was in Paul's words. And I feel like I want to swing back to what you were just talking about before when you were rambling. Not really rambling. I know where I was going now. Yeah, you totally did. <laughs> is, is this idea that, you know, of being a disciple has nothing to do with your knowledge of like you said, of the Bible or of theology or how can Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God all be one thing or, you know, how did God create man or who created God or all these other far-fetched, far-reaching things. I mean, we can pursue knowledge of that, but that's not what we need to know to be an effective disciple. All we need to do to be an effective disciple is the ministry of reconciliation, right? Like this, I... Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Right, I mean, that's all we need to do. Like, we don't have to have any knowledge at all. Like, I know what Jesus has done in my life, and I'll tell you that story, and it's not pretty. It's, I, I mean, it doesn't, I can't tell you the scripture verses. I can't, you know, I can't do any of that, but I can tell you how true it is to me and how much it's meant to me and how much my life has changed. That's being a disciple. Not this, like, endless knowledge of scripture and Old Testament and Gideon and, like, I don't know, like, this, none of that stuff I almost said none of this stuff's important. It's important, right? It's important because I, I feel like God wants us to continue to grow in him and grow in our knowledge of him, but that's not what a disciple means. That's not what it takes to be a disciple effectively. That really the first point is what Sean just said, is this ministry of reconciliation, this thing of just acting out of kindness of love. And man, I love that. Yeah, I remember where I was going with that now is, yeah, blessed are the peacemakers. And do you get angry or do you get upset? I used to get really angry. Yeah. I was, cause I would react. I didn't respond. So I feel like these all sound like they're all synonymous. Angry, upset could be synonymous. React and respond could be synonymous. But I feel like there are, there are really subtle differences in those things. And that I would always react angrily to things. I would be triggered and I would, I would react. And I feel like responding is different because I feel like there's more consideration that goes into a response. Like mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to think this through before I right? And so I still might get upset. Right. And I may even like raise my voice, but it's not like I've, I go blind with rage, right? I'm not dangerous, angry. Okay. Yeah. I would say I used to get, I, I don't even know if I would say angry, but I used to get like just and now I, I think sometimes I get upset, but then you, I would just find that I would get withdrawn. I would withdraw because for me, I can only control my own, what I say and my own behaviors and actions. And I never want to say something that I'm going to regret. I never want to act in a way that I'm going to regret. Um, so for me, if I get upset, I'll get quiet. But, you know, ultimately it goes back to what I think that 
I really think that the devil wants us to get upset. He wants us to get upset with angry. each other. Yeah. yeah. Angry. Yeah. Where we like, we have loose lips, right? Where we just like, just blah, 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 blah. Like we just vomit verbally, right? And try to be hurtful, right? Try to be like, this hurts me. So I'm going to try to hurt you. Yeah. Right. And so and that's, and that's anger and that's reaction and that's not healthy. Right. Yeah. And so like, I respect you in this idea of like, I withdraw because I don't want to say something stupid. Right. But like when you're blind with anger, you don't care what you say, as long as you can hurt them more than you're feeling hurt right now. And I feel like that's part of this walk. It's Jesus for me that I was not, I would, I, I would not have been able to overcome that. That's part of my nature. It's part of my genetics. It's part of my, I mean, it's part of everything that had to do with me was this responding in anger and you know what I mean? And, you know, that's, I mean, if you ask me my testimony, my witness to who Jesus is with me, that's a big part of it is, is overcoming this need to hurt someone more than they were hurting me. That in fact, my hurts come from not just what was happening in that moment. I'm all journey to wholeness right now. But in fact, things that happened when I was 12 or 10 or mm -hmm. 22, right? Where I felt rejected or whatever. And so like those pains, right? That hurt. This isn't even like in the moment. It has nothing to do with what's happening in the moment, but I'm gonna respond to you in this moment and I'm gonna try to tear you down. And you know, and if you're clever and smart and have a way with words, you know, people with a way with words can be caustic when they're angry and they can say really hurtful things that they don't even mean, but they just want to make sure that they can win. Yeah. I find that here as well. You know, people walk through the doors and sometimes they're really angry or sometimes they just want a battle. I don't ever want to give somebody a battle. There's no, as you go back to saying, you know, whenever you argue with somebody, who cares who's right and who's wrong? Because whenever you start to argue with somebody, you've totally lost the point anyway. Um, to me, that just doesn't, it doesn't matter. And I like what you're saying about journey to wholeness because I love journey to wholeness too. And I honestly think that a lot of the people that have gone through things that people think that are their biggest weaknesses are not their greatest strengths. And, you know, you take what, again, you know, back from what you're saying about what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. Like, I feel like, you know, the enemy has thrown so many curveballs in people's lives and you know, you see people that can take these and now you're turning them for good. Like the amount of people that have now walked through the doors and, you know, I'm like, you should really talk to this person. Um, and I've met so many interesting people. Like even I love how Pastor Sean and Sunny are so raw and so open and honest about their story because so many people relate to that. You know, Pastor Sean's message on depression and so many people said, I love that he talked about that. And I love how he was so open about that because that's what's needed in the world. Um, when you talk about discipleship, it is people that are willing to walk with people. And I think that Sean really is. He takes people wherever they're at and just loves them and and really wants to walk alongside them. And not even, he, he is such a great leader, but it's because he's such a great servant. And I wonder if when Paul thought about the division and the arguments among the Corinthians, if he remembered what those, what those things had done in his own life. 
in the time when he'd been burned, but refused to stop keeping track, when he refused to forgive and how that refusal to forgive had caused him to burn someone that he loved. And it makes me wonder two things today. Who's burned you? And who have you burned? We were talking about this uh, this topic last night at Life Church downtown, which happens every Sunday at six o'clock uh, when we're meeting in person, when there's not a pandemic. We meet at Gather on Broadway and we have a meal together. And then um, we watch Sean's message and then we stay at our tables and we talk about Sean's message because one of the things that Life Church downtown is built around is this idea that we really will get so much more out of a message if we could just talk about it for a second rather than just trying to absorb it ourselves you know, in a silo. And so anyway, so in a pandemic, we meet in a Zoom meeting. I'd give you the address, but last night someone hacked into our Zoom meeting. <laughs> Which I love. I said that I love that because, you know, obviously they're, if they're that, if they're that provoked by Jesus that they need to hack into it. I heard that they're hacking other church things as well. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I really feel like God is trying to open that door. Yeah, so I, I really, that. I really hope that they come to Life Church and, yes. and meet us. I would really love to know if they will take their their technology genius, you know, <laughs> and use it for some good. I'm like, I want to know who you are because I need to help with technology like right? that. Yes, yeah, I could use a good IT person. We need to figure that out. Although we love you, uh, you know. Right. Although they weren't good spellers. They, I'm praying for you. Pray for your spelling. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. So if you're listening to this, hacker people, hey, come to Life Church downtown. You're welcome. You're loved. You can sit at my table. It'll be great. <laughs> anyway, uh, we were talking about this at Life Church downtown last night on our Zoom meeting after the hacking. And um, we were talking about how, like, I wonder if there's a way that we could take, like you were talking about before, about hacking something that the enemy had meant for evil or to hurt or to destroy and turn it into something good. Like, what if we took this opportunity to emerge from the pandemic changed? Because no one would blame you. If you went back to work, if you've been off for two and a half months or whatever it's been, and you came back to work and you were suddenly cheerful and kind when you before you were a total witch and a miserable cow. Like, what if you came back and you were sweet? Like, people would be like, oh, <laughs> hey, that's really cool that Judy's so sweet now. She used to be a miserable cow. <laughs> <laughs> I have been on a farm a lot. Yeah, like well. I could be in a car even more so <laughs> But like no one, like what a great opportunity to change something you didn't like about yourself, right? To just, hey, I'm going to do this instead. I'm going to, I'm going to choose to do that. I'm going to start like rebuilding bridges and mending fences, you know, that I, that I had left behind going into the pandemic. When you're talking about, you know, kindness, in all the places, I love traveling. Um, I was supposed to go to my 54th country um, over the pandemic time and it got canceled, but anyway. And in Vietnam and in China, I was sitting beside two ladies, neither of them spoke English, but you can see the kindness coming through people, um, through their eyes, through their smile, just through their body language. And you know, kindness isn't just you know, what you're saying and it's just, it's you and you can see that coming through people. And something that I read today was that, you know, kindness is a language that the deaf, they can hear it, the blind can see it. And, 
you know, I loved in Sean's message the way it said that that man who was blind, you know, Paul could see it on his face that he believed. And people can see your love and your kindness through this. And what you're talking about, you know, people can overcome things, you know, during this time. It teaches you that uh, today I saw a quote, too, by Winston Churchill, and it was the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity, whereas the optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. You know, this is a difficulty. And I see Life Church downtown and, you know, we so many different groups starting up and, you know, people just coming together. And I love that. And I really see, yeah, a lot of good coming out of this. Mm. Yeah, me too. Like, I'm so hopeful, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah. I think it'll be good. One thing I would say out of this is, you know, what are you basing your identity in today? I think that this pandemic has really asked me what I am focusing my identity in because a lot of the time we get our identity through our family, our friends, you know, our relationships, our jobs, schools, traveling, everything else. But unless I get my identity through being a child of God, then my identity is not in a strong foundation and I need to put those roots down in a foundation of good people, a good church, and that is what gets me through a pandemic. Yeah, I love that you brought this up, and I, I was about to close it. I'm glad that I didn't, because listen, if you're hearing this, if you're listening, and you're a Jesus person, but you're not sold out, like for Jesus, if you don't like fully identify as a child of God, if you don't live that way, then you've got half the story. Like if, if, like I, I just did a Dave DeShazer thing. Dave does that all the time. Um, <laughs> where like your faith isn't a place you visit on a Sunday and you're something else every other minute and every other day of the week. And so if your identity is, you know, your friends or your softball team or your bar league or your, you know, whatever else, then I mean, what? Why are you, not that there's anything wrong with those things, but that should not be your identity. Like your identity should be something that's eternal, right? And all the bottles of wine in the world and all the softball games in the world and even, dare I say it, all the stamps in your passport book in the world are not eternal. There's still things that when we die are gone. They're dead. They're finished. And, you know, I just... I find that when I'm motivated and, and animated by the Holy Spirit and by God, and I chase after what he's compelling me to do, that that's all the satisfaction that I ever need. And, you know, I love being known as a Jesus follower. And I love being known as a Jesus follower that's, I don't know, kind of weird. A Jesus follower that's, you know, I don't know, not, not super freakishly bible and churchy. Like, I want... I want to normalize Jesus Christ and I want to like, I want people to know that, Oh my gosh, Jesus is more about kindness and love than he is about rule books. Anyway. All right. Well, listen, we've been here for an hour and that was a long time. So Judy it was so much fun to have you here today. I'm glad that you were on. I hope that you'll come back and 
be on again sometime. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Okay. I, I probably drag a few more people on here. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> this is a big, it's a big enough room. Yeah. Anyway, I hope that you guys enjoyed uh, the show. Uh, if you did, uh, please share it with your friends. Um, and if you find that you're liking uh, this podcast altogether, please subscribe on your favorite podcast channel. It was so great having you. We'll see you again next time. Bye, Judy. Bye.